What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Oh, Glenn, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was just out there training. Where have you been? I was out there training my dog. What took you so long? Well, we were doing this particular scenario mm-hmm. where we were using a hard dog chomp. Yep. I got that from Canon Dynamics, by the way. From old mate Mark LaPointe? Mark LaPointe. Yep. Yeah. I got. Uh, I get a lot of my working dog equipment from him. He really flogs some good stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Canon Dynamics. Yeah. And then my dog was attached to a leash and collar. Where did you get that from? I got that from Mindswick Dog Quip. Not the old Buffhead. I got it from Jason. Oh. <laughs> okay. Mindswick Dog Quip. Mindswick Dog Quip. And, and it all went perfectly. Yep. So I- Had you reward the dog? I, I'm very interested. Well, aside from the bites on the chomp, mm-hmm. but, you know, for other things, yep. I gave the dog some Bright's Bites. Oh, good call. Yep. Bright's Bites. You really are a name dropper, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> You've got the best of the three. You've got the golden triad right there. Absolutely. Mm. If you want, you know, if you're in North America and you want working dog equipment, yep. Canon Dynamics. Yep. If you're in Australia and you want any kind of dog equipment, Einswick Dog Quip. And if you're going to use dog treats, you're crazy if you're feeding your dog anything other than Bright Spice. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And sitting across the table from me is basically our other co-host, Bertie O'Shitty. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. The bird's back in the nest. Well, in this nest. I have a few. (laughs) (laughs) Good to see you guys. How are you? Good. Very good. Speaking of nests, how's your home coming along? Oh, it's so cozy. I think that's the number one feedback I get, how cozy it is. Mm. And it's, you know. That's real estate talk for small, right? (laughs) <laughs> it is very small. It is very small. Well, I think it's perfect, but compared to other people's homes, it's small. Well, mm-hmm. it's perfect for you and Dan. Yeah, and it's clean in a 20 minutes, so I like it. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? You know, like a lot of people have got big houses and very nice houses, and I'm not knocking them for doing that, but they complain nonstop about cleaning them. No, my house is done in 20 minutes. Mm. My yard is a very different story. Yeah. Who do you think you buy a nice house for, like a really glamorous looking house? Do you buy it for yourself or do you buy it for other people to look at your nice house? See, for me, my garden is big, not hugely big, but mm. for me it's quite big. That is way more important to me than having house space Yeah, mm-hmm. because I can plant trees, I can yeah. do things outside. So for me- You have so is, much room for activities. Yeah, and I, um, I can go nuts in my ideas. Yeah. So for me, this and privacy. I like to have privacy. Mm-hmm. I used to have a client in Melbourne who had this enormous house, like three to four tiers of home, including his garage. It was like four tiers and it was in a very affluent area in Melbourne. I used to remark to him all the time. I said, this is an amazing house. He goes, yeah, well, it's a pain in the ass to live in because he goes, I only use like a, a tenth of it. And he said, the rest of it's just space. Yeah. My parents have quite a big home because they build on top or beside my grandparents' home. So you have two flats in one house. And just the heating bill is enormous and takes an hour to vacuum the house. I'm like, nah, mm. I'd rather be 
outside. But at the moment, it's a mudslide because we just got uh, connected to the sewer and we got gas and we have sandy, muddy soil. So it's a bit of a mudslide at the moment. Right. Well, it's a good trade-off though. You got all those services connected. Good time to get in the house and get all that done. We are ahead of our reno schedule. So we are very happy. We're very content. Like my husband's turning into a lumberjack. It's Mm. pretty impressive. (laughs) Well, that's it for the real estate show. Hey, uh, <laughs> so you sent us a message, said, I want to do an episode. I did. And the topic is trust. Mm-hmm. What yeah, prompted this? We had a lovely conversation with Jay Jack when I wasn't was, here. Yeah, Remy was unwell. Before you carry on, I did get a lot of messages about that. He just ate the grease trap on my barbecue. Like, he's fine. <laughs> he just was power vomiting for half a day and I didn't want to leave him alone. I had to hold his hair back while he was vomiting. <laughs> Good for him. Well, he actually did the responsible thing as a dog owner too. Like, you identified that there's something traumatically wrong with your dog and you stuck by him, which well, is good. Was all right. Yeah. But, yeah, so but that's why I wasn't here. Hmm. No, it's just that in that show we talked a bit about trust and I mm-hmm. think trust is something that's quite important in life and it's a huge construct. Like when I started looking into it, I realised pretty quickly I can't do proper justice. Mm-hmm. So I've given up on giving people a theoretical explanation. I'm just going to focus on practical things because I would need weeks to mm-hmm. cover it. There's so many different angles on this topic. So the main points I'm going to focus on is how to have self-trust and how to trust someone else and what you can do to be a trustworthy person. Okay. And the main source of this information is from positivepsychology.com. They have a lot of experts talking about one topic from a practical behavioral aspect, like evidence-based, research-based, and they interview experts in that field and then they ask for advice and practical implications. So I just went onto their side and had a look what they would do because I'm like, you've done the homework for me. Mm -hmm. You have more resources than me. Thank Mm -hmm. you. So if you want to check it out, it's called positivepsychology.com. Lots of great articles and resources on there. Mm, Cool. So what do they say? Well, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that without trust, life is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And one of the researchers, his name is Eric Erickson. He's like really into children's psychology, developmental psychology, and he has done a lot research into this topic. Basically says trust is established pretty young in us, like, if you had some experiences that make you feel like you can't trust by the by the age of two, you're going to feel that for the rest of your life. Wow. So okay. it's, so that really took me a bit back. I'm like, whoa, um, it's quite significant. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm going to stay away from that deep topic because there's so many angles from it. And some examples are like even geographically your trust is being influenced just by the political party that's running your city. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it can be – such a huge topic and the way how safe you made feel in society has a lot to do with it as well. So it's not just a a family system. It's like a big society system. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure that for instance, when we moved to Australia, we picked a suburb where I'm like, my two children can go out at night and I'm not too worried because I had enough trust in my neighbors and my society. Mm. Whereas when we moved due to other reasons, I'm like, yeah, you need to be home by eight now. Right. And they're like, I'm older. I'm like, I do understand, but I have less trust in our area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. That has actually changed quite a lot. And if I reflect back on thinking about my childhood, we were allowed to roam the streets. The rule was when the street lights come back on, you've got to be home. However, you know, you speak to parents now, they're almost paranoid about it. They almost have this stigma that there's a pedophile on every corner and their kids are going to get attacked or beaten up by somebody or something like that, or I don't know. I don't know if it is that bad or the perception is that bad, but trust has really 
dropped in society. It was not like that when I was a kid. You know, there were concerns and there were the odd weirdo out there and so forth, but it's not like people feel today. I had similar thoughts and I'm like, maybe it's because people feel more disconnected. A, we have more information. B, we are more disconnected. Like, for instance, my close family is thousands of kilometres away, are very close friends. And the other thing is the loneliness pyramid, how people rate their loneliness, is actually quite high these days. And John Cacioppo defines lo- the feeling or the sensation of loneliness as an inability to trust. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, that's deep. You know, you feel lonely because you can't trust people your environment or the people in your life. And I do believe that the dog society, dog society, I just created that word, our community. Dog world. (laughs) (laughs) Our people. Some people really struggle to trust and rightly so. Like some people have witnessed some really difficult things in their life. Mm -hmm. And that's why I thought we should talk about self-trust first because how can you trust someone else as an adult when you don't know, can I trust myself? Because how do you then know that you make good judgment in people. And I do believe that you have to know your own, they're called shadow sides or strength or light sides, like your your weaknesses in life that you know, hey, what type of people do I attract? You know, what what patterns do I have in my interaction styles? How do I set myself up to fail? Or is there something I need to work on? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's, you can trust someone, but you set yourself up to fail right from the beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I follow. You follow? Mm-hmm. All right. So there are key principles on how you can develop self-trust. And the five ways to build self-trust are maintain your boundaries. That's easier said than done because most people actually don't know their boundaries or they really struggle to say no. I think I've quoted this before, but I once had a workshop where I just asked people to line up up opposite each other and the person takes a step towards them, the other side's supposed to put their hand out and just say no. It was intended to, if you have a dog a dog with reactivity issues, someone approaches them that you can say no. Mm-hmm. Most people started crying. Wow. So if people really struggle with saying no and protecting their boundaries. And yesterday um, I had an incident where I had to put pretty strong boundaries up because I was approached inappropriately in a supermarket. Mm. Yeah. Saw that on your Facebook. <laughs> yeah, someone I had a in our in our local supermarket. You have to wear, or it's highly recommended that you wear a face mask if mm-hmm. you go in. And I have no problem. I'm I'm pretty lasse about whether to wear it or not. I just want to help my community. If it makes you feel safe, sweet, I'm fine. So we went in, and someone was fascinated with me and my mask, and they kept wanting to touch me and my mask. And he was very very focused on my mask, like wanted to touch it, fiddle with it. And I'm like, no, like, fuck off. <laughs> like, and so I'm lucky that I don't have problems with putting people in their place and telling them, no, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure other people would have let that happen. And that's a pretty extreme example. But small boundaries are also that you go like, I don't want to reply to my messages right now or I don't feel comfortable with you right now or this is what I need to be okay in a relationship or these are the things that I need to have to feel like I can open up and talk to you about things. And I think if you can't have boundaries in a relationship then or you're scared of using them because you have had the experience that if you put a boundary up there are negative consequences, you probably attract people who are not the greatest fit for you and it's not necessarily because they're ill-intended, it's just because you don't know how to speak for yourself. Mm. 
like very often we're easy to blame. Oh, that's a bad person. I just want to get the better of me. I'm like, no, you just don't guide them. Most people actually don't, don't want to be mean to you. It's literally miscommunication. Mm-hmm. A very intense look on your face, Mr. Stewart. What oh, I'm just thinking things, just thinking things through. Do you want just, to share? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's the right time to fit in. I think the dog industry is a difficult industry in place of trust. And I think that you see a lot of peculiar behavior in dogs, not in dogs, the animals, I mean, in the industry. You see people who outside the industry are, you know, normal and then just add dog conversation and they become irrational. And I think one of the issues that I've kind of noticed as I've you know been in the industry is we don't deal in huge sums of money in dog training. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, it is large sums of money to some people, but when like deals are not worth millions or billions of dollars, mm. deals are worth maybe hundreds or thousands or at the maximum tens of thousands of dollars. Right. And so I think that Nobody is super killing it. The people that are super killing it are like above every, like they're not involved in these smaller deals. And I think that the issue of trust, as I think about it in the dog industry, is that people got to get paid, right? Like people, like we're not dealing in huge sums of money and people therefore have to look after themselves, right? And you see, you do see some business partnerships or not even partnerships, but just sort of mutual agreements fall apart when trust is broken. And it's usually in my experience or my observation, it's seldom that like there's anything nefarious going on. It's just that people aren't making enough money in this deal and they need to go outside the deal in order to make money, right? That's what I've sort of observed a lot. I think boundaries are when you are advocating for your needs and we have to acknowledge that sometimes two people have different needs and it doesn't work and it's not because they wish you unwell or something malicious. It's just that's life. Mm. But you have to, for that to be able to understand, you have to be quite practiced in setting boundaries and also being quite aware of what is your mind feeding you. Have you had triggers in your life that maybe give you quite a strong reaction to things. That's what I mean with shadow side. Like you need to know what are your triggers in life. You need to know what sets you off. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have topics that set us off. Like I can be very relaxed about certain issues. But for example, as a psychologist, I knew there are certain topics I can't, I don't want to be involved in. Too close to home and I will have a massive overreaction and I will lose my cool. Mm -hmm. So Setting boundaries and maintaining your boundaries is really important, whether that is with your friends, family, clients, in your business. And most of the time people can have an area where they have quite strong boundaries and then an area where they're not so great. So very often you see people have great business boundaries but struggle to have healthy boundaries with close friends and family. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that we are so attracted to dogs because that issue gets at first glance ignored, you go like, you love me, you're a beautiful animal, but then we create all these issues like separation anxiety because boundaries do get blurred. Mm -hmm. So maintaining your own boundaries and knowing what you need to be healthy and okay in life is very important. And that's you talked many times about maintaining boundaries. So So though that in the context of trust, you mean setting boundaries to mean like I accept you doing X but not Y? Is that sort of... So setting a boundary usually looks like this. When you do X, it makes me feel Y. Can you please do Z? And if you trust a person, they will listen. They will make you feel heard and seen. And they will either say yes to what you've suggested or they come back with a compromise or they go like, that doesn't work for me and we go away. Mm. But it's not in a way that you then feel worse or malicious or that you're not being seen or heard or that you've been minimized or cut off. There's usually an open dialogue happening. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean just because you addressed your needs that they give them to you. 
but there is a sense of an atmosphere of nurturing and care. Mm. And that's how you know, hey, this is really a good environment for me. I am not scared of telling you what I need. That's usually a good indicator for trust. That's when we see in relationships, like for example, couples that have been married for a really long time, they're really good at negotiating those things, but none of them are scared to speak their truth. Mm-hmm. None of them are scared to say, this is how I really feel. I know this is uncomfortable. So we have to also understand being uncomfortable is very often part of setting a boundary. Sure. But I feel safe enough in the environment because you've heard me so many times and we have dealt with this so many times that we have confidence in this, that we can overcome this. Mm-hmm. And I also have confidence in myself that I can articulate myself the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that for a second, that that uncomfortableness and setting a boundary, is that because you're exposing your, yes, yeah, so you're exposing your, I guess, weakness or, or like your limit and you, you, it's kind of like playing poker with your cards out. When you set a boundary, you're like, this is all I have. This is all I can take. I've never viewed it like that, but m- maybe. Depends what how you're wired. Mm. But I do think it shows vulnerability because you're speaking up for something that you need and something is not going smoothly for you. Mm. Also, the more you do practice assertiveness – the smoother you become at phrasing them. So very often when you see a good team or good management, they can be assertive, but it doesn't feel like someone's getting literally hammered with something. It feels very nice Mm -hmm. because there's this understanding. We just want the best for each other and we're going to find a way that we can make it work. Could it also be once you set a boundary, you're then kind of beholden to it and maybe you would like considering the circumstances in that moment, slide that goalpost? It's really important that when you say a boundary that you have, that you stick to it and that you have consequences if they get disrespected. Yeah. And this is self-trust then, right? That you can go like, I trust myself enough that I know what to do. And over time you go like, I'm actually quite strong in doing that. I can count on myself. And I think this is what we very often see in people that they don't believe in themselves because they don't have enough repetitions in themselves of going like, I can handle this because I've done it plenty of times. Mm. But I mean, vocalizing a boundary. Like, so imagine, let's use a ridiculous example. Your cup's there on the table, right? Sweet. And if I say, if I think, if you pick up that cup one more time, I'm ending this interview, right? And if I think that, and then mid-interview, while something's going really well, you pick up the cup, and I think, oh fuck it, this is a good part of the interview. I'll let her pick up the cup, and I won't, I won't make a problem out of this. That boundary that I set because I didn't vocalize, didn't tell you, I can then shift the goals on that. I can say, oh, that, maybe that was irrational. But if I'd said to you, Bertie, if you touch that cup one more time, I'm ending the interview. Then when you do touch it, because I've put it out there, now I either expose myself as flaccid, as like not being up to what I said, or now I'm like, shit, I have to do it, right? Is that an issue you think people have in setting boundaries? To me, this is not a good boundary setting because you're just telling me a behavior, but you don't explain to me what your need is that's not being met with me annoying you. Okay, sure. So if you said to me, hey, Bertie, when you pick up your cup again, it makes my job to editing the podcast really difficult because I hear the clonk every time. Can you please be more considerate about it? Mm Mm-hmm. I would go like, no problem. But if you just told me, don't pick your cup up, the reactivity in me is like, of course I'm going to pick it up because (laughs) fuck you. How dare you tell me what to do? (laughs) And that's a Glenn problem anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But So I think when we set boundaries, it's really important that we explore the need in us 
Okay. So we very often have heated conversations. We see p- heated conversations between two people, mm-hmm. but they focus on a very superficial thing, like my cup on the table. But they miss the point of exploring what irks me, like what what need in me is being touched on, and that could be the need that you go like. Birdie, I'm really tired today. I'm feeling really run down. I'm feeling pressured today. I just want to get the show out. Can you help me to be more efficient, please? I have no problem. They're not touching my cup. Mm-hmm. But you have to show a little bit why this is important to you. Mm-hmm. And also, if you don't set a boundary, you don't educate me. So a good boundary setting actually makes people feel closer because they, A, know how you feel, B, they know what's important to you, and you're a team at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. If you just tell me don't touch your cup, I learned nothing about you. Mm-hmm. I just got told off. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we see assertiveness and boundary setting as a way to to honor ourselves, but also give the other person a chance to get to know us so that in the future we don't have to do this because then I can go in and like, hey, how are you feeling? Can I support you in any form of way? Yeah. So it's kind of like a contract of understanding between two people. Yes. It's interesting hearing you guys talking about this now because in the past – even presently when we've had workplace contracts, you know, you might set out exactly what the job description is and put all the points in there, you know, goals, major goals, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you give it to the person, they will agree to it. They'll say, yep, read through all the points, absolutely agree to that, sign away. Interestingly enough, memory lapse, and that's the good thing about having some sort of a written Mm -hmm. agreement And I've done this for several things, not just work-related things, but just agreements in general where I thought, why don't we put our ideas down on paper and that way we can both look across it, both add or delete things, and then we can put a signature next to it and say, we agree to these terms. And that way it gives you a bit of a a connectivity or ownership of what you're actually talking about in a trust way. Because we've had this thing over the years at work where people will sign away at things and say, yep, I agree to that. And then later on down the track, you can see a lapse of memory, like, oh, that's not my job or this is not what I agreed to. And you actually pull it out and say, well, we actually did. During our meeting, if you read through there, that's your signature and that's all the terms there. And I go, oh, okay. I find that that eliminates a lot of argument at times. Yeah, totally. Because rather than sit there and say, okay, well, that's not what was said and having to recall a conversation that you had, you've actually got something that you've got down on paper. So I don't know if it works well in relationships, but I just find that if it's on paper and it's agreed to, then your argument then becomes mood. I, I think that's a really helpful way. The, the other thing that's just standing out to me is like because Pat was like, when what happens if you move that landmark? Mm. If I understand you need, needs are always flexible. Yeah. Then it's not about achieving that certain goal of how many times I touch that cup. It's about am I hearing your need of how can I support you? Sure. So it's very different. You measure things very differently all of a sudden. And that's where the flexibility lies within that then. So it's a full conversation rather than a half conversation. Yes. And I I do believe that people who work closer together or are teams or in relationships, these things can happen on the fly. Mm. They can happen really quickly because they're so attuned to each other. Emotional attunement is like, we have done this so many times that now I know you pretty well. I already can help you getting your needs met in a way that's good for you that we don't even very often have to talk about it. Does that make sense? Mm, mm-hmm. So, But the main thing coming back to the topic of how to develop self-trust is also you have practice to 
have these conversations with people and you trust yourself enough that you can handle and hold your ground. Because if someone then goes like, oh, okay, you said that, but I'm not going to listen, that might be a cue for you. Hey, maybe I have to reassess and maybe I take a step back. And that's not because you're a bad person or something. It just doesn't work out. Most of the time, people are not badly intended. Like they don't want to be malicious. It's just how it is. Yeah. So maintain your boundaries is really important. Another boundary for yourself could be that you go like, hey, I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm a better worker when I go to bed by 10 o'clock. <laughs> right? Like simple things. Yep. And with that comes very often that you make and keep small promises to yourself. And that's a huge trend at the moment in psychology that we tell people, hey, make small promises to yourself. Whether that is have a cup of water, make sure that you have some lunch. Maybe make sure that you, you get some fresh air, like really tiny things, but just that you honor your own needs and wishes. It's so easy to go like, you are responsible for me, but no, at the end of the day, we are only responsible for our own well-being. Mm -hmm. This is really tough to learn, but you can't control other people. I know I keep saying this over and over. You can't control other people. You're in charge of setting yourself up to succeed. Not a greedy way, not in a dominant, any formal way. It's just... You need to take charge of your own healing, of your own life. Mm. So do it. Hey, are we going to get to this or is now a reasonable time to talk about it? Tell me if we should talk about it later, like trust being given versus earned. So very, we see that when we talk about trust with others, consistency and how to show up in interactions is really important. Mm -hmm. For instance, we know that trust is something that is the more steady, consistent and slow, but predictable the more trust will be earned. Mm -hmm. Trust is hardly ever earned in one go. That's an exception. Most of the time, there's small little bits that add up and you just get a flavor for that person. Like in the psychology world, we very often go, if people are super intense right from the get-go, that's actually more take a step back and just watch for a little bit mm -hmm. than, you know, someone who promises you the world right from the beginning. Like mm -hmm. we see very often in the dating world, people are in uh, what is what inf infatuated, infatuated mm. with someone and they put you on a pedestal and everything's amazing. And realistically, that's not a sustainable. Mm -hmm. So we very often say slow and steady wins the race, but consistency is really important. You know, that you're on time, that you offer help. And it's also altruistic help, not that you promote yourself all the time. There's nothing worse than when someone offers to help and in the end it's just about them marketing themselves, yeah. especially in the dog industry. Like the amount of times people lack the finesse of how to do that is quite interesting, especially in the dog industry. It's mm. very often I have to shout really loud to be seen and heard and I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. this is not the way to go. I think that's something we've spoken about a fair bit is the idea you see a lot of people helping to be seen helped rather than mm. helping because they want to help. Yeah. There's a saying about that. I think it says something like if you do something with the intention of being seen, you're not helping, you're doing marketing. Business. Yeah. I think yeah, you're you doing business. About, you yeah, it's not charity, it's yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. So but if you talk about trust, to me having trust for, I mean there are different types of trust. There's trust in business, there's trust in a professional, there's trust with a friend and family. There's so many levels, but in the end I need to kind of believe that that person has my back in whatever setting that is. If I go to a doctor, I want that to have my medical back. I'm like, I trust that you will do the best you can within your capacity to have my back. Mm -hmm. If I go to my friend and they're very close friends, I'm like, I put my heart in your hands mm. and I, I hope that 
you have my back, right? Like it's that trust where where we have different layers. But in the end, it's mostly earned through in, over over time, consistent interactions, and, sure. and it feels good. You know, you go like, ah, oh, nice. That's an interesting thing. I was reflecting on something that happened a while ago, and it happens to most people. It's a life thing, and it is a trust related thing. I feel like trust is something you start out, which is a huge monolith. You know, like it's just a massive part of you, but it certainly gets whittled down over time. In the current climate, trust is a harder thing because people are becoming more edgy and there's a lot of unsettlement with the way people are feeling and so forth. But relating to the the issue that I had a while ago, somebody that I trusted, there were two people in play. One person I trusted really well. The other person I know was an untrustworthy person. And the untrustworthy person, I expect them to be a rattlesnake. That's just their nature. The other person who sided with the rattlesnake, it really, like, it felt like they snatched the heart out of my chest, you know, and I had real issue with them. And they kind of said to me, you know, why have you got so much issue with me and not this other person? I said, because I expect them to do that. That's their Mm. nature. They're a rattlesnake. I know that they're just a subhuman type of person that takes delight in ruining lives and causing mayhem. You, on the other hand, I thought was a magnificent person. Like maybe my expectations of who you were were too high. I don't know, but it fucking hurt. Like, you know, like it really got on my goat. And that's, I think, what we also have to acknowledge is the reason why we encourage people to go slow and steady is Mm. you do get hurt if your trust gets broken. But I have friendships where I hope that if something happens, we have enough trust under the belt that we can figure it out and that Mm. we can talk about it. I do believe that if you have close friends and you just have to ghost them and something went wrong because communication channels aren't open. That's rare though. That's like in my life, I would only have less than five people who I would do that with. That's really, really rare. But people change, situation changes, needs Mm. change. And very often they're also teachers. Like very often, you know, when you have such an experience, you in hindsight, when you have healed a bit, you can go like, why, what did I play in this role? What, what did my perception and my programming, my conditioning mm. come into this? Have you ever seen a movie, just reminded of it, called The Town? Is it, is it called The Town with Ben Affleck? Yep. And the guy, I can't remember his name, but he plays well, He's Hawkeye. a crook or something like that. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're robbers. They, yep. they knock over like armored vehicles and stuff like that, moving cash. It's like, it's like someone watched the movie Heat and was like, mm, we need this to have a better ending and remade it. Mm. But there's a scene in that where the Ben Affleck character basically kicks in the door on his best friend and it's the ultimate scene in trust, right? And he looks at him and they're kind of gangsters and he says to the guy, I need you to come with me. We're going to hurt some people and you can never ask me why. And his friend looks at him and says, whose car are we taking? like that's trust that's trust right yeah and that has to be earned yeah that level for a lot of money in the bank that's like getting married to another person like Mm -hmm. you're putting your life onto you know and those people exist but there are probably not many of them in your life because they actually require work these are friendships that have to be maintained and you have to look after them and Mm. you have to feel connected like I would do a lot for Pat, like I really would. But if I haven't heard from Pat in 20 years and you knock on my door and you go like, you can never talk about this, I'm like, buddy, <laughs> I feel like I'm your last solution. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's also important to context. Yeah. But the other one is also in this whole, you know, how do you develop self-trust to come back to the topic is that you have self-care in there. And I don't think that Pat would knock on my door every week and go like, you can't talk, you can't ask questions. And I think after a while there would be a Pat and I'm like, sure, mm-hmm. really? 
And self-care is in self-trust is very often that you know when you have highs and lows in your mood, you know, how strong, how tired you are, how big is your load. Like I'm unfortunately when I'm tired, I'm grumpy. Like I, I just laughed the other day because my youngest child, Melody, she's very similar to me. And we laughed like after 830, we're just like, rah, rah, leave us alone. And I do believe that if you, for example, are in a scenario where you are tired, but you have to perform that you set yourself up to know what you need to cope, mm-hmm. especially in the dog industry and business, because a lot of the times people, like when you do seminars, you have long days, you know, you're surrounded by people and that you know, hey, what do I actually need to be okay? Or I talked to Glenn the other day and he had a super busy schedule, you know, and, and Glenn knows how to how to make sure that at the end of the day, it's all right. You said a couple of things, I can't remember them, but you said, oh yeah, I did this and that and that helped. So I think it's really important that we also take charge and responsibility of our own well-being, whether mm. that is that you go to the chiropractor, whether you go and see your friend or you have family or you invest time into having a healthy dinner and not have takeaway or you have takeaway because that is self-care at the moment. It's important, but in regards to self-care, I realized and I need to explore this. Self-care and mainstream media at the moment is, hey, have a bubble bath, have a glass of wine, you know, talk to someone. That is the superficial stuff. True self-care is actually quite deep. That could be learning a new skill mm. like self-care, or boundary setting, or speaking up for something that you believe in. Mm-hmm. So that it's a whole topic. I'm not going to go too much into this. But, but it's an outlet. Yeah. It's changing tracks. Yeah. Yeah. After knowing you and, and people like you, I feel that it's very important to actually do that, to shift tracks when you're feeling that, that way because you can get so bogged down in – a type of thinking that you actually forget to look after yourself and you start to think, oh, you know, I'm just stuck on this track all the time and it's just repeating. My day is just get up, do this, eat, sleep, get up and repeat and do it over and over again. And I think sometimes a lot of people are locked into that way of living. And when you talk to them, you can see that they're sort of like, instead of being stereo, they're mono. Yeah, they're numbing themselves. That, with they that are. Type of like, yeah, like that's right. It's a, it's a way to numb yourself. Yeah, but it's not a life and it, it's an existence. It's not a life. Yeah, and with that comes a lot of problems. And, you know, like I've done most – the reason why I talk about this topic is because I've done most unhelpful things under the sun. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. Like um, I'm not coming from an enlightened perspective. I'm coming from – believe me, don't do what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ethos that we've tried to maintain along the way is that nobody's perfect. And just because we're doing a podcast show and we're talking about things that interest us, we never got up to do this to say we're perfect and follow along with what we're doing. We're oh, no, I don't feel pressure to be perfect on this show because that would not be possible. Well, I, I always manage to get out of line for NDTF students that the pursuit of perfection will send you insane. Like, I think it just puts you over the edge. I think, you know, like setting yourself up for excellence and trying your best well, that's a good goal to go for, but perfection just sends people round the bend. Yes, it does. Yeah, I've done that too. Mm. Mm. And the other thing I think with self-care is that we very often have, we coming now to the mind aspect of it all, that we have unrealistic expectations how fast things should be going or moving. I think we're in a very impatient time. And, for example, my self-care right now is not working and I'm very frustrated that I'm not ready to work. It's It's doing my head in and I'm really keen to work, but my body's still like, ah, bit too keen, are you? And very often I get a lesson. I'm like, oh, all right, still need to take time. 
And I think this is when the other part of how to develop self-trust is, is that you speak kindly to yourself and that you know your emotions and your thoughts, that you really, part of self-care is that you learn the ability to stand back from your thoughts and your emotions and that you just can observe what's happening mm. and that you can be observant and not caught up in it. And that's a lifelong skill, but it's so important. And it's so important that instead of, most people have an inner critic and they're quite harsh to themselves, like, you know, like, why the fuck can't you doing this and that? Mm. But you learn to be kinder with yourself and just treat yourself the way you would treat a friend is very often what people use um, mm. or that you at least neutral. Mm. Michael Jackson actually sung a song about that called Man in the Mirror. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it talks about having a conversation with yourself and liking yourself. It's actually funny. I was listening to this song the other day and I was thinking, oh, yeah, a lot of people don't actually do that. They don't follow that mantra. They're not kind to themselves and they don't say nice things to themselves. And can I – sorry that I'm very opinionated about this topic, but I researched it quite a bit. And I think being kind to ourselves is not – putting always a positive spin and negative aspects. But it's, for example, that instead of going like, I'm noticing that I'm struggling, why aren't you already there? We go like, I noticed that you're struggling, just try your best. Mm -hmm. So that would be kind. Or that when we go, like if you do deep soul searching, you also discover sites in you that are not pleasant, like that you would struggle to talk about or see, that you go like, okay, I see that you have the courage to go there instead of shutting that down. So that would be kind. But the mainstream media very often is about always be positive, always see the good things in things. Some things aren't good, mm-hmm. but the kindness in there comes that we acknowledge for what it is, but then also acknowledge the bravery or the effort or the patience that we have around this topic. Mm-hmm. So we don't spin it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Something I try to stick with, I think that like the self-kindness is fueled by self-honesty. Yeah. I think that uh, being really realistic with yourself about who you are, like coming to understand that, and therefore setting yourself achievable expectations and but also manipulating yourself in that you know like take for example like I, I know I'm a very accountable person. So like once I set once I put something out there, like I'm like, oh fuck, like I, I have to do that now. So if I want to like that's a really uh, strong form of motivation for myself. Yeah. I can say, I am doing this and then whether anybody cares, that that's irrelevant. I care because I've told people I'm doing it, so that's therefore I have to do it, right? Yeah. But I think that like really getting to know, being honest with yourself, and I think a lot of people are under the – I've experienced a lot of people that think they're one thing and then find out that they're another, and that can be quite crushing for them. But then you just have to go like, don't pretend that you're that anymore. Like you thought you were, mm-hmm. and now you've found out you're – you're this and that's who you are and there's no changing that. That's you, you can just work within those boundaries, right? Like, and you can develop, but don't pretend that you're something else, be something. And it, uh, that's not, it's not fair to say there's no changing it, but the change has got to be actual, not perceived. Yeah. Like you can't just continue pretending that you are something that you're not. I think very often we in society shine light onto a certain aspect of equality, mm-hmm. but most qualities have, an uncomfortable and uncomfortable side or helpful or unhelpful side. Like it's the duality of things. Mm-hmm. For example, love can feel amazing and it can hurt when it's taken away. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it, it can have two mm. aspects. So it's really important, I think, that we're comfortable in all aspects. And I think the people that I really look up to, they do that all the time. They're not scared of looking off the opposite side of whatever quality that is. And in the end, very often we look at people and we look at their actions or what and their words, but the truth is patterns in the end will reveal what's happening. 
Like what type of pattern are you engaging? A one-off nice word or one-off change in behavior doesn't set a trend. Patterns do. Mm -hmm. So I think if we talk about trust and we go like, hey, I don't know about you. You said this or you've done this. Look for patterns. Mm. That's a very- um, So with that in mind then, can we discuss how you would then develop trust? Like imagine say, again, because we do have to stay in a dog-related way in some way. One thing I think is interesting is developing trust with a client in a very short period of time. Right? Okay. Like, so imagine you have a facility or whatever, you're doing board and trains, whatever, and people are essentially having to hand over their family member to you. Yeah. And with a trust that you're going to do what you've said you're going to do. Now, imagine you are straighty 180 and you really, you are going to do all these things that you've said and everything is above board, but you've got like a 20 minute interaction with these people. Right. I think- Practice is really important. So I've found 12 general tips how to build trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think in, in a 20-minute frame, it's really important that you're an expert in communication, mm -hmm. really important, that your facility gives a sense of trust. Like when I walk into a place, like I went to a different health professional ages ago, I'm like, do I get a sense of professionalism here? Like do I feel like – there is care around this topic. So so I'm not just going to judge you on the way you interact with me. I'm also going like, do you care about this? Mm -hmm. And I can see if you care by the way you greet me, you know, how, how your room looks. And it doesn't have to be high expectations. I'm just wanting to see that you care, that mm -hmm. it's all right. So the key thing with immediate trust is that you give that moment, that person and their family member, the dog, that you're present with them. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I have let go of people in a professional sense, I usually go like, you are not spending time with me. You're preoccupied. Okay. But it is that you're constantly on the phone doing things, checking things. You're actually not listening to what I say. Like our communication is really just fragmented and, and you don't get me. I think the quickest way to build trust is that, hey, you got my time. You got my energy. I'm focusing on you. I'm trying to absorb as much as I can to get to the ground of uh, to the bottom of what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. My surroundings support this. This is what I can do in 20 minutes. Sometimes that is just to say hi to that person. Though. Like what you can achieve in 20 minutes is very little sometimes. And that's mm. okay. Because trust very often, like if, uh, if in a clinic, if uh, someone came to me, the first session very often is just that you get to know each other. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to give you massive amounts of strategy unless you ask for it. But it's just that you go like, hey, this is me. If you want to work with me, because most problems in the world are not solved in 20 minutes, with humans at least, you need to get me. But shall we go through the 12 general yes, ideas? Please. The first thing is, it's again in regards to consistency, be true to your word and follow through with your actions. Like if I'm a if you're a boarding kennel and I come to you and I sign up for this package, I want that you deliver on this package. Yeah. And I want that I don't have to hassle you, I don't have to follow up with you, and I probably don't want to feel like I'm at the biggest sales convention in my life. Mm -hmm. I want that my decision is respected, that it's very clear and open and honest what I'm signing up for. That would be, in the regards to a boarding kennel, that would be it. And I do believe that what Glenn mentioned before in regards to having written points, that helps very often. Like I think it's very helpful that people know what they are signing up for if they sometimes get it in written form first and then in verbal form because some people are better verbally in them. I'm better if I see it written. Sure. Instead. And so in that way I think contracts or like a memorandum of understanding or whatever, it goes both ways, right? So you're saying to people, this is what you're responsible for, dropping yep. the dog off, paying the money. But this is what I'm responsible for is these actions of training. Yep. This is – 
like this is what we're both getting out of this rather than yes. like being a one-way street. The clearer the communication, the less room for misinterpretation. Mm. Just stepping back for a second on something you were talking about before, and I know we've raised this topic before and I find it's very important when I'm interacting with people generally mm-hmm. is don't listen with the intent to reply because you're not listening. Yes. And that's a that's an issue of trust for me. When I know I'm talking to somebody and they're already preloaded and they're just waiting to get out what they wanted to get out, I know I'm, I'm not talking, I'm not having a conversation with somebody. They're just waiting to get their point across. So there is no conversation happening. It's a battle. And yeah. it, there's resistance already. So, you know, if I can give advice to people, it's not, this is certainly something I've had to learn about too. It's been pointed out that I've done this before by colleagues, staff, family, and so forth, is be a better listener. If people have come to you as basically a King Solomon figure, if they've come to you to sort out their woes and their problems, give them the time that they need. Cut you know? their baby in half. <laughs> Jesus. What? That's what King Solomon did. That's the parable. The two mothers were fighting over a baby. I mean, mm. You know that? That's what it is. They went to him to say they were fighting over a baby, one saying that she was the actual mother and the other had stolen it. And he said, oh, well, I know how to fix this. I'll cut that baby in half and you can have half each. Yep. And the real mother said, no, fuck that. Let her have the baby. And then he said, okay, I know you're the real mother. And he gave it to her. Yep. That's what King Solomon did. Mm. That's why he's. That's why we talk of him. That's why we reference him when you talk about sage advice, cool. decision making. Yes. Just for reference, this is not how psychology operates these days. (laughs) Um, But one thing that came to mind talking to you, Glenn, I think in friends and family and if a a work colleague has a deep, meaningful topic, then that's really important to Mm. be a good listener, you know, acknowledge what they're saying, really understanding their perspective, maybe practicing some empathy. But in a business setting and you have 20 minutes, there's some efficiency as well. And I think it's an art form to direct people and giving them all the information whilst making them feel heard, listened to and cared for in their family member, the dog, in 20 minutes. And I think that's practice. And I think that's also what you do on the phone before or what you can do. But the art is also in knowing when do I listen intentively and when do I guide you? Well, I agree with that. And there's sometimes where you've got to direct the conversation in a meaningful pattern. You know, like there'll be times where people are coming in and they start to hang on a topic and they won't let it go. And I've been in this situation before where I've had to say, look, I need to, I don't actually say the words, but what I do is I guide the conversation because I know that it's just all we're doing is saying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So you're assertive, you're setting a boundary. Pretty much. Yeah. There's pretty much that time because I mean, look, I'm, my job is speaking to people all day, every day, you know, and that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm going between resort to resort speaking to staff about what needs to be resolved. And there are times where I do have to listen and I have to listen intently because, you know, we talk about this topic, Pat and I had mentioned this before, who's the smartest person in the room. So if I'm talking to somebody who's a kennel cleaner and that's their profession and that's what they're doing day in, day out, they're the smartest person in the room in regards to cleaning kennels. So I have to accept what they're saying and I have to listen intently to that. But if I know better than them, like if I've got more experience than them and I can see what they're telling me is not right, then I have to guide the conversation in a right way. And I have to let them know to trust me that I do know better than them in that situation and I need to get it on track so we can get things in a productive manner. But there are some times where, you know, people need to come and talk to me and I'm referring to staff again, where they need to come and talk to me and they just need me to listen for 15 minutes, you know, and I I do need to that. I need to blank my mind and, and listen to what they're saying and sometimes it may not be that they want a 
solution right there and then. They just need you to actually sit down and listen to what they've got to say. Yeah. Be heard. Be heard. Be heard in Sydney is really important. And this is a bit off topic, but there are different types of love languages, how people feel loved and seen and heard. And some people are communication or words of appraisal are really important. Some people it's quality time. Some people it's services of helpful services like doing things for them. Some people have presence. There's so many different types. And we also know that, for instance, a good relationship has more, way more positive interactions than negative interactions. I think the ratio is five to one, according to the Gottman Institute, in, in relationships in couples. And we we know that people who separate and get divorced, they have a tit, what's it called? Tit for tat? Mm-hmm. Tit for tat, yeah. yeah. Kind of like interaction style and that doesn't help. Like you need way more positive interaction than negative interaction. And mm-hmm. a negative interaction saps quite a lot of positive interactions. And in regards to trust, that is also really important. Like if... Coming back to Pat, if he would do one small thing and we had a year full of celebrations and fun and giggles, I'm like, that's fine. Uh-huh. You're still good. But if we have been all the time just just okay and, and – Arguing over that goddamn cup on the table. Yeah, every single time. And you see me and you're just on my balls and I'm like, ah. Then I'm like, hey, not so cool. Yeah. So, so it's also, you know, the history – builds up and it's sometimes it's called the love bank and the trust bank. It's like you have an account. Every relationship has an account. The more mm. you invest, the more you're forgiving because you have something you have for savings and they can withdraw in case of those times. Yeah. Coming back to the topic. Mm-hmm. So we've covered be true to your word and follow through with your actions. Another one is learn how to communicate effectively with others. We've discovered that. Mm. Another point is remind yourself that it takes time to build and earn trust. I think it's very often that people go like, too strongly in or to have too high expectations, especially with um, industry leaders, how long it actually takes to have trust in a person. They have unrealistic expectations around that. On that, whenever somebody says to me, you can trust me, I know I can't. (laughs) Is that what you take away? Oh, totally. Whenever anybody fits that into a sentence, it's cringeworthy. Mm, Because I said to you, I've got your back the other day and you're like, eh. No, but it's usually like when someone's like, oh, you know, you can trust me on this. I'm like, no, I can't. Like the fact that you have to pre-validate that tells me that I can't. When someone, someone might say, hey, like on the download or between you and me or something, but we go, trust me on this. I'm like, nope. Nope. Your training kicks in. <laughs> yeah. The one thing, the one word that I'm always cautious of in any business name or anything is integrity. Yeah. As soon as they slide that into their business name, I think, oh, you've got none. <laughs> Yeah. Well, for me, I just think, oh, as soon as someone says, oh, trust me, trust me, Pat, you can trust me on this. I say, oh, methinks the lady doth protest too much, right? Like I just think. Mm. Shakespeare on our show, really? Yeah. <laughs> Pat's on the game today. <laughs> and I think this is something that you learned, right? You know that history has taught you this is something I have to listen to. And if you tell me, hey, um, you should trust me, you go like, mm, maybe not. Mm. So you need no more time to test it then, right? So. I guess what I'm saying is be careful about these things. You know, you are re- in responsible in who you put your trust into. Yeah. So learn about, like, for instance, as a teenager, I would put trust in people who are definitely not trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> so getting back on that, who did that to you to make you not trust them? Uh, it's come from, it must have come from someone. Someone's really pissed you off. Someone you know. <laughs> 
Okay. I know. Um, I know what you're talking about. But like, so from my point of view, and this is very personal and I've, I've had a few conversations with people about this is my default position is to trust people. I'm very open and trustworthy person, trusting person, not trustworthy, but I like to think I'm trustworthy, but I'm open and trusting. But I also am a person who's capable of dealing with the consequences. And what I, what I do is like, I cut people off pretty quick. Like, but I, my default position is that I trust people generally because I think that typically people are, you know, overall people are good and they're usually trying to serve their own interests and their own interests and mine usually align, right, in things that we're dealing with. But I'm not ignorant to the fact as well that I am a person who can be fucked over and manage, you know what I mean? So, like, I've had this conversation with people and they say, oh, well, that's fine for you, but, like, you're a 90 kilo man that has previously hunted people and captured them in their sleep. Right. Like, so like the, I like you, I'm not physically scared of much. And so that sort of thing, like I get that, right. I get, I, I'm, so I'm aware that that's my position and it's not necessarily relevant for everyone. But so I never look for a reason to trust people. I only ever look for a reason to take that trust away. Right. Mm. So like my, my default position is that, and usually like I'm a kind of like in that sort of sphere, you know, at the moment in my life, I'm kind of an all or nothing person in, in in almost everything that I do, right? So I like to think of the way that I give to people and the way that I deal with people is much like a cheetah when it runs. You know, like cheetahs don't slow down. They, they're, the way they're like lactic acid in their body works is they can run a full steam until they can't run anymore, right? And that's how I usually am with people. So like when I meet someone for the first time, I'm like, hey, like we're cool. Everything's great. I trust you hundred percent. But the second that I don't, I'm like, oh, I trust you zero. Like I don't let it chip away. There's no like, oh, okay, now, now I'm cautious of you. Now this is like, no, I don't trust you. But at the same time, you have very good boundaries. Like you have very good boundaries. And also you are to me, a very interesting mix of being so, so, so open, but then not at all. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. So that's the thing. Like I'm a, like for me, I, and I, it's just, I'm not saying this is good, bad or otherwise, it's just how I am. But I am like, I'm a very binary person as much as I possibly can be. But that also bites me in the ass a little bit when dealing with people, like, you know, we we're talking before about being harassed by a lot of people and just not having the time. Like I tend not to wane from people. I give them everything and I don't, I try not to be like, Hey, like, a, you know, like here's a shitty response. Cause I don't like that. I regret bad responses. So I'd rather nothing. Like I mm. give you everything that I can until I can give you no more. And then we're done. Like we're finished. Mm. And, and, but I think that upsets people and that probably impacts trust because there's no, there's no buildup. Like there was a buildup in my mind, but I like, for me, it's, it's like, you know, I've spoken a fair about, and I think Jade might've spoken about this on the podcast, but I've spoken to him about it. Like, I don't believe in escalation of force and violence as well. Like I believe in none or total, right? Like that's like, there's, you're never going to catch me. Like if you say that one more time, I'll punch you in the face. Like that's not something I'll say. I'll let you say whatever it takes and then I'll fucking break your legs. Right. And unfortunately I never get to that position, but it like, that's how I sort of deal with things. It's like, no, I can take that or I can't. There's no like, oh, if he says that one more time, oh, he says it. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, no. Like, and that's what I was talking about before and setting and moving those boundaries. In everything, for me, I look at it from a point of view of, is this okay or not? It's as simple as that, right? And, I'm, and if it's okay, I'll continue. And if it's not, then I stop or mm. you know, take whatever action comes from there. And I just don't believe in escalation. I just think that it's, 
I can either put up with it or I can't. And that's how I deal with people and trust. I can trust you or I can't. And my default position is to prefer to be, I trust you. And of course, that's not just like, there's, there's people who I you know, talk about things that I wouldn't talk about with another person, but that's not that I don't trust them. It's just, that it's not appropriate. Right. Or that it's like, they're not a person that I would connect with in that way. Yeah. I think, that, but I, what, I guess what I'm hearing right now is just that you know yourself quite well. So that's felt, right. But that's exactly. And that's where I think that all comes from. Like and from I think that's is, what the main thing is to develop self-trust is that you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And yeah. I think that you own it to yourself that you explore and, for example, what we just, you just talked on it, like the other points that were on here is that you take time to make decisions and think before acting too quickly. So you have put quite a lot of thought into this already. Yeah, oh, big time, yeah. The other point that helps building trust is that you value the relationships that you have and that you don't take them for granted. And I think our society is very quick to do this these days. Like we have a lot of expectation what we want from people, mm. but then at the same time we don't honor them. Um, yeah, and also I do believe another point here is that you start developing your team skills and your participation in those teams. I think very often we're coming with an agenda when we go into a team and fair mm. enough in a work scenario you have to perform, that's the deal. But in a friendship circle, you know, just participate for the sake of participating. Like true, I keep saying this because it mind boggles me, true altruism doesn't exist. You give, you get. Mm. Mm. It, it opens your heart if you give. Be mindful who you give, how much you give, if you're in a position to give. But if you give, you get something back. And I've done a couple of experiments with friends recently, and we all talked about this and how we went. But when you give, it creates this vibe in people that they're more willing to give back. Like it just sets the tone for something. And I think if you're surrounded by the people that get you and you trust, it's beautiful. You can create beautiful things. So I think that's really important. Mm. And you have to be really honest. And another point is that you're honest, that you have the guts to be honest in that circle so you can be who you are, that you don't have to put a facade up, that you don't have to pretend to be someone else, that you can be assertive in a kind, gentle way with them just so that it's maintainable. Otherwise, if you're always faking who you are, then that's not sustainable at all. Mm -hmm. Springboarding off the back of what Pat said before, I think the clearer you are with people without intentionally going out of your way to hurt them. For example, I've got different tiers of friendships. Everybody does. Yeah. People that you yeah. people that you trust, you know, almost implicitly to people that you you don't trust at all, but they're still in a realm of relationship with you. I make it clear to people when my relationship with them is falling out, they get silence from me. And it's not about me being mean to them or anything else. I just withdraw everything from them. I basically withdraw from the account. You know, if they ask me, I'm pretty honest about it. I just say, you did this. I didn't appreciate it. I'm out. And, you know, people can earn back. And I've earned back from other people where they've done similar to me, where they've withdrawn the account because I've done something shitty to them in the past. And, you know, we've talked about it. And, you know, I'm appreciative that they've accepted my heartfelt apology when it's been known to me what I've actually done wrong. And I think you're right, Bertie. When you can see that somebody is genuinely remorseful about what they've done and they've come to you and they've sat down with you and they've made time to sit and try and resolve the situation and you know that this person, you know, that this was a mistake, not a not a behavioural pattern, I feel that it's actually beneficial to give them counsel to actually let them redeem themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole, you know, it's a huge topic how to 
recover from infidelity in a relationship or when you feel betrayed in a relationship. And the common ground is always that the people really communicate around it. They understand their needs, why things have led to them, what they've learned, how they want to move forward, how mm. they reconnect. But it's this ability to sit together through this super for this amazing amount of discomfort and work through mm. and, and really show who you are to rebuild that trust. Mm. Well, we did a topic last week about uncomfortable questions in the dog training industry we have a lot of uncomfortable questions with each other yeah let me just finish with the top because i'm aware of time so the other one is that if you want to have someone in your circle that you help that you volunteer to help without getting much out of it just because you want that people have a good life around you i always think that people that i like or that i want to be close with i look around do you how are the people around you like do you have a nice community around you do you contribute to your community or are you just taking it for yourself. To me, that's always a bit of a measure to see how you live your life. To me, a good leader, for instance, or a beautiful friend is always someone who's not just getting or gaining things. They also make sure that other people have a good life. They contribute and they distribute, essentially. Bertie, are you a believer in the common denominator? Like, for example, if somebody comes to you and says, I've got all these problems, these people are doing this and that to me, do you ask them to reflect on what's the common denominator? Like the broken finger? yeah. Yeah, I would be careful with it. Like I would really listen and I would probably take my time, mm. especially if they're friends because I'm involved, I'm not objective. But, yeah, we can create our own bubble and we can see what – we create our perception and our reality. We see what we want to see. And I think that's what the role of a beautiful friend is, that they can nudge you sometimes. Mm. But you mean like you see relationship breakdown and you see that person has – these two people are amazing together. Oh, it's broken up. And now a third person comes in. Oh, they're great. And now it's broken up and it's great. And you go, well, all these people can't be the problem. There's there's yeah. one person here. Well, the, the example I used to Birdie the other day, you know, like if you go in and saying, oh, if I touch my leg, it's sore. If I touch my sternum, it's sore. If I touch my head, it's sore. If I touch my foot, it's sore. And then you go, well, you got a fucking broken finger. Yeah. You know, like that's the common denominator in the issue is that that's causing you the problem. Like I see people that are in relationships, work, professional, personal, you know, just friendships in general. And they don't get it that they're the toxic person in the relationship. And I see this online a lot. Like you see in, if we're talking about canine communities, you see people that are just constantly toxic and they don't realize why so many people argue with them. It's because they're the common denominator. And the crazy thing about this is, and um, I actually think The Rock talked about this, your friend. God bless him. Yes. My close personal friend, The Rock. (laughs) Who needs to become the president and save America from itself? <laughs> Is that, that we are all having toxic traits. It just depends in what area. So maybe, yeah. you know, we totally. have we can be the star at something and at the same time the asshole of something. Absolutely. And I think that, that this is what I encourage people is that you do – do self-development, that you build that trust that you know, where I'm, well, when I'm an asshole. Yeah. Do you know one that really hit home for me a while ago when I read it online? which said that in somebody else's story, you're the villain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that really, that impacted me because I thought, ah, oh, there have been people that I'm the villain in their story. Me yeah. too. And mm. it's just, it's really unpleasant to think about. It is. I saw Be- that too. And I'm because like, oh. when you think of yourself as a nice person and that you're generally trying to help and you're not trying to be malicious, the fact is, is that somebody doesn't feel that way. You know, you've impacted them deeply on some level that you don't realize what you've done. Well, the issue is the observer sees your actions and doesn't understand your intentions. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're being judged by 
the observer mm. by what you did, not why you did it. Yes. Right. And I think that probably all of us can think of something horrific that you've done for a very good reason. Mm. And when you can understand the reason, you go like, okay. No, like, I wish I could say that I've done just bullshit things <laughs> because I had no awareness or I was triggered. No, but you would have at some point, there's something that if I looked at you doing it, it would go, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. And then if you could explain to me the reason, I'd go, oh, wow, could, I'm so happy you did that. But what if, no. I still disagree. You've never done that? I have, but I've also done things where I was just so of course. unself-aware and not aware of how to manage my emotions or my triggers or like literally I was just a no, <laughs> you, you have to say that in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and I think that is what we also have to learn and I think that's why we are allowed to make mistakes, but we have to grow from them and this is why we have to know well, what are my shadow sides? When am I not a good person? And how can I make sure that I don't end up there again? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, this is when we talk about kindness. I can forgive myself of doing these things and I can go like, yeah, that was 10 years ago. You were not in a good headspace. Mm. Makes sense that you did this. But I can rationally understand and I can be kind to myself. But I need to look at it. Mm -hmm. I need to grow from it. And I need to go like, yeah, you work on that. Mm. So I wish you were right all the time, but no. <laughs> okay. So um, the other thing is that I do believe that it's really important to build trust, that you are truth to your values, that you know what you value in life, what's meaningful to you, and that you have a bunch of folks and friends around you that agree with you or support you in this and that you don't hide your feelings, that you can speak about your values, what's important to you. Because otherwise, if we don't have meaningful conversations, we don't have a really true connection and we just – exist and I think close friends they are people where you can be your true self and you feel comfortable enough to show them these are my values these are the things I enjoy or really would like to work on or that are on my mind right now and that we have um, time and also the society learns to just not do things so that those conversations can actually arise because very often we find these days people are so busy that these really deep conversations, they take time to start, mm -hmm. you know, like you, you don't go in and go like, hey, 10 minutes, here's my deepest thought for today. Mm -hmm. That we ha just hang out sometimes and then things just naturally have the opportunity to arise. I'm cautious about using this word, but if I, I'm going to say the word my tribe, but if I know that I'm actually with the right tribe of people, I'm not stepping on eggshells around them. Like I can have a conversation and not be so guarded that it's going to go south suddenly. Like even if I say something wrong or something inappropriate or something like that, I'm, it, you're not going to hear gasps and people going, oh, my God, that's horrible. Or it's going to mean the end of a friendship or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I do believe that a good friendship also accepts that you start there and I start there. Just because you have this experience and this is going through doesn't mean I have to agree with you. I'm giving mm. you the space to explore this and to hang out with you. And if I make a mistake, and this is another way to build trust, is that you say it, you know, that you go like, sorry, my bad. I really did stuff up. Thanks for your patience with me. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. I think, is really important. I, I agree. I had a conversation with a friend the other day and we were in a group of friends and I said something that they felt was inappropriate. But rather than embarrass me in front of everybody and make a, a big deal of it, they pulled me aside quietly afterwards and said, hey, dude, you said this before what was the meaning around it? And I explained it and they go, oh, I took something different away from it. And I said, no, no, it definitely wasn't that. And they said, oh, thanks. I appreciate the clarification because I, this is what I thought it meant. And, you know, I thought that was a little bit of a dig. And I said, no, not, not it at all. You know, that wasn't the intention around at all. And I said, but I really appreciate that you came to me 
privately and we had a, a chance to have a conversation around it rather than you going home. That's trust. It's trust, right? That's yeah. trust. That's trust. Hey, I feel so comfortable that I can come up to you and go like, I'm not sure about this. Yeah. And it also shows that you have values and that you've invested in the relationship because I do think trust comes with investment. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to have that a good conversation around it rather than that person going home and reading something into it and then having an issue with me because then I would never get the right reply or at least to be able to explain the situation. So thank you, mystery person who (laughs) listens to our show. Yeah. I think that core group of friends, like you say that tribe, but a core group of friends that is infallible, I mean, that's the most amazing thing you can have. It is. I have a group of friends. It's mostly the guys that I did selection with that are – Thick as thieves. Yeah, but you've like, gone through some deep shit together. Yeah, and we all, most of us have deployed together. Mm. And, and so- mm. You like, trust each other with each other's lives. There's only a couple of those guys are still in the army. Most of us are kind of all over the world. It's rare that we ever get together. But recently we we have actually, you know, like Matt, who was on the show, is one yep. of them, right? And so that's why he was in town and we we're all out together. And the, t- the talk <laughs> is outrageous, right? Like, and it is- Anything goes. Well, but it's just mercilessly teasing each other, mm. like mercilessly the, saying the most horrific things that you can say to a person, but it's saying it with love and, yes. and from a bizarre place like you. And it's, it's, it's something so fun and so free to be in a group of people like that. And we went down to one of the guys as a full, like lives in a bus in the middle of the woods now. Right. And so we went to his house, right. Or his bus mm. in the middle of the woods and sat around a fire and just mercilessly teased each other for a night, right? Before eventually going to bed. And it's the most fun you can imagine, right? And so I think there's a level of trust in that. You can just say horrific things to each other and have horrific things said to you and it just be the funniest thing ever. And it, the wrong personality or even a new person in that group, like if you observed it, you'd be like, oh, my God. This is going to be a fight in any this minute. Is, or, but if there was any new person there, because you wouldn't accept that from a person, yeah. right, who didn't have that that history with. But I think it's a – I think I'm so lucky to have that group of friends uh, and I think – Sometimes people who don't have that, like I, I can then observe when someone else is trying to do the same thing because I have had it, right? So you see someone might say something a bit scathing and my default position then is to say like, oh, that's probably meant in jest, right? Because I do <laughs> hear things like that in jest a lot, right? So I think if you don't have that and you haven't heard people talk to you in that way and then someone does for the first time, you could easily go like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said those mean things to me. And it's like, oh, especially as Australians. like, But I think this is international as well. But in Australians, like our culture is that the, typically in a group setting, the meaner you are to someone, the, the more you like them. Well, I mean, the word that we often call each other is... Yeah. You know, and I mean- and Thank pe- you for not making me the only person well, saying it works. Well, <laughs> so let me tell you a story about that, right? So at my old unit has a permanent in bed with first group special forces in the States, right? Mm. The ODA. And uh, the first guy that did it, I won't say his name because he's still in, but is a legend. Like he is one of the, he's a super soldier. He's like amazing on the tools. He's legitimately one of the nicest guys you ever meet in your life. Super good looking guy. Like he's, you know, they should make a statue of this dude, right? Like mm-hmm. he's a super man. Anyway, so he gets along with everybody he's ever met. He does his two-year posting in with these guys, right? So he's going to live with them. And he's the first Australian embedded with these guys. And so immediately he's fast friends with everybody. And then one day he walks into the locker room in the morning. He's like, hey, what up? 
and gets dressed and whatever. And then the next day walks in there and everyone's cold on him, right? Like it's <laughs> like cold and he can't figure out why he has no idea why all of a sudden everybody that was his like, you know, has his normal life is everybody loves him and gets along with him. Suddenly nobody will talk to him. It's this horrible experience. He's totally mm-hmm. isolated. No one wants anything to do with him. So he says to one of the dudes, he gets to like, Hey, what's happened? Like, I don't understand on Friday when I left. Everything was good, and now everybody hates me. He goes, mate, you called us in the locker room. And he's, <laughs> he's like, what? Like, yeah, you're lucky you didn't get shot standing right there. Was this a different country, different? It's in America. Oh, yeah, yeah so he's yeah, in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. he's like, oh. like That's oh. A, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that I didn't mean, like, he goes, you walked into this locker room and said, hello, you we cannot believe you would talk to us that way. And he's like, that's a term of endearment where I'm from. When yeah, you walk that means in, I love like, you. Yeah, like that's like, yeah. a, that's me saying I'm really comfortable with you guys. Yeah. And then they got it and they're like, oh, okay, like that's fine. And now they're all calling him that. And some of them still have friends call him just to call someone a over the phone because they want to hear him say it. But <laughs> like it's a it's a breakdown in that way, right? Like that that's how we kind of talk. Mm. You wouldn't even consider that in Australia. And someone's like, hey, what up? That's not even something you would. It wouldn't occur to you that they're being malicious or mean. That is a very specific situation that you're comfortable in. Yeah, I yeah, think, sure. I think I think that is Pat's life. No, I think that that's pretty common in a lot of places. I think rugby could be the same. Yeah, like any any sort of group of slap around fellas, you know, like tradies, motorcyclists. And, yeah, it's it's regular, regular maybe conversation. My Austrian's coming through. I'm like, what? But that's the thing. That's so maybe but you it's Australian, it, right? Because it's Australian that's colloquialism. Australian. Yeah. But is it also very male? Probably. Well, it used to be. Not anymore. In lunchroom conversations, I've heard those those utterings taking place. Yeah. Um. I'll let you do you. Yes, so this is the thing. <laughs> that's, that's your Austrian coming out. Yeah, but it's also from a mental health perspective because I had a lot of people who were Australian not coping with this. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there is a total different side. I think if you're in a cool group, it's cool. But if you're not in a cool group, you can go. go well, maybe different. if you don't understand it, like that's what I'm saying. So if you haven't had people say something to you like that, that you knew there's no like so like I say with these group of guys I know they love me and I love mm. them with everything so it's, so that it's I have. clear that they love you yes yeah, it would be impossible for me to misconstrue what they say it would be impossible for any of them like and if they were gonna give me like hard advice to handle they wouldn't miss a beat one of the guys because it was an alcoholic we had a straight up intervention for him right like with it's not there was no there's we don't beat around the bush with each other like on how I met your mother that sort of intervention where you have a sign and everything <laughs> Pretty much. That's fucking awesome. That show is awesome. (laughs) The dude actually looks a lot like that dude. I could never misconstrue anything any of them say to me. So I've heard it in that context. And then when I I can, that's what I mean. I can identify that in other people and go like, oh, that's how you mean it. But if you haven't had anybody that truly loves you say something to you like that, then when you hear it for the first time, you have to assume that they're malicious in what they say. Mm. I think that we see this a lot in, or not a lot, but there are people who we know in the dog industry that don't take criticism well, and it's constructive criticism, but it's because they've never had it from a loving place. And especially if as a child, if you didn't have good friendships, I think, like you're the psychologist, I'm fucking talking out my ass, but- I feel like if you haven't had good friends that do really love you and have said to you, like, you're being a dick at the moment, right, then 
if you've only ever had people that didn't care about you and call you a dick for no reason, mm. I think that it's really difficult for you later to identify when you do have good friends because you're an adult, you've moved through, you mm, develop your international definitely. friendship. When someone says, hey, that's not good, your position is the people who tell me I'm doing poorly are attacking me because people I love have – there's no never been anybody that I love that's given me that feedback. I think it's a bit more complex. I think that the feedback hasn't been given appropriately or too much, like the intensity, the duration, the quantity yeah. of it is all of it. But, it's yeah, it's a skill, right? And I think that's as an adult you have to earn – that you know how to give feedback and how to give yourself feedback and others and that you look at those things because if you can't take feedback, you need to look at something. If mm. you give feedback too much or you're a critical person, you also need to look at something. Yeah. But just to summarize the topic of trust, I think the biggest thing is just take it slow and steady and be really truthful to yourself. Like if you can trust yourself, you will also pick people that are suitable for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you can also – I mean, there's a whole episode, how do, you, how do you make your dog trust you? But I think it's really important that you don't blame other people when they break your trust. I think it's your responsibility that you go like, how, why did I end up in this position? How did it get to this way? Mm-hmm. I think it comes back to the dog industry very often blames people that they're all bad people or that people are humankind is terrible. Most of the time they're not. Really early in the episode, Pat was talking about how – people in the dog world have relationships with each other and, you know, some people just aren't killing it. I think from the experience that I see when I'm looking at how people interact and behave with each other, some of the issue that we have and tend to have a lot with trust-related issues is what we are competing with is attention in the limelight. And that's where people do seem to fall out of favour with each other and stretch the boundaries of trust with each other is because what they're looking to do is pinch what other people have got. You know, sometimes it's quite malicious. It's deliberate and it's malicious. And, you know, Pat and I were talking about it before on a specific person and there's been not one person that's done those sort of things. There have been several people with it before and that's where the boundaries of trust break down with people is because you've worked and you've built a like a, a small empire around what you're doing, okay? And it's not to say that it's your unique material. You've borrowed a lot of things from other people, but you've actually built yourself a little empire. And it might be that you've got one person, you're a sole trader, or you've got several people working for you, and then somebody else comes into your group and you kind of like let, allow them in, and then you find, oh, they've just taken everything that I've done and they've carbon copied it and they've pinched it away from me because, you know, envy or competitiveness gets in the place. And that is a real trust issue for a lot of people in the dog industry. And it's a lot of conversations that I have with people now when people, you know, like we were talking before about people wanting to, you know, connect with us and so forth. That's a big one for people in the industry right now is that people are taking what they have built a long time, almost word for word, and using it against them when they were friends and they trusted each other. Does that make sense? Have I explained that no, well? I, I think it's – I hear you. Um, it's difficult and, and it's a hard one for people to come back on because they allowed that person into their intimate collection of what they've done and that person has gone, great, I've got it all. I don't need them anymore. I've drained everything. They're basically a, a professional vampire. It's the long con that hurts. It's yes. Because that those, yes. those people and the person I think you're talking about, you really genuinely like them and then – because they're so good at it yep. that you did have trust in them. And then that's why it hurts when that's But when you it's unlocked broken. everything. Like yeah. you gave them all the tears. Yeah. You know. But then it turns out like 
why it upset me so much when it happened was because I was like, oh, like I just lost a friend. Like it wasn't that I, it turns out that this friend that I had never existed. You weren't actually that person. Like, and I thought that we were friends and that fictional character you created in order to get that information from me was, and look, here's the thing. Like I've done that to people professionally while I was in the army as well. Like that's the job I've done that. And it's a, a horrible thing to have to do that's one of the reasons why now i'm like such a go out of my way never to put myself in a position of being even slightly and never misrepresent anything that i can because i never want anything to have to come back and bite me in the ass Mm. having done that professionally like you know once you do surveillance on someone you you are lying that is you are lying in every action that you take every step you take down the street is for an ulterior motive right yeah you've you're an alter ego you're yeah and so and it's an incredibly stressful life to live and Mm. then you imagine people that are doing that for not like a like the gain is anyway i I, i'm kind of rambling (laughs) Yeah, trust difficult. <laughs> I have nothing to say. I don't know. Like, I don't, I think it's also what gets to you. Like, you know, the type of person you are. Like, if you have a business that might get to you. Like, I've never been in a situation where Glenn is because in psychology, our tools, the understanding right from the get go is it has to be shared for the greater good. None is ours. The whole purpose of this is that you make world better. Like none of this is yours. Even if you develop a great model, it's never yours to have. Mm. Like it's the ethical codex. So I never would go in with that mindset simply because I come from a different training ground. But I think that's what we have to understand. What is it that is important to you? What is trust for you? How has your trust been broken? What do you learn from it? What did you contribute to it? And I think that's how I would end it. Yeah. That's my my advice. <laughs> It's a real uh, can of worms you've opened on our show, Bertie. I, I, I'm i like, I can see you too. And I'm like, we could be here till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah it, it, it's a big one because, and I choose my words very carefully here, but when I completely don't trust somebody, I'm at the borderline of hatred for them. And, well, and, and that's, you know, and I don't like hating people because I feel that that is so energy and time consuming because almost in my mind, I need to destroy that person. Yeah, and and you, I mean, and you are a very close friend to me, and you know, this is when we when I'm saying you have to look at where is this coming from because is are you being triggered? And when we talk about triggers, when something in your current life is being triggered, very often past triggers are part of this. Like you, you have an effect bridge, right? It reminds you of something or early childhood stuff. So there's so much to deal with. And trust is huge. Like to repair trust is difficult. Mm. Well, the person uh, we're both thinking about, it's not that I don't trust them. I trust them implicitly. Now that I know them, I trust that they will do what I know them to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the old fable of the 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 frog and the scorpion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Primarily how I categorize people. If you're a scorpion, I expect you to be a scorpion. I know that you're going to sting me. Yeah. You know, and that's why I'm not so disappointed with those people when the, when the sting finally comes. Because I think, well, you know, I kind of, I was handling you. You stung me. You're a scorpion. That's what you are. But when you're a frog and you fucking sting like a scorpion, I'm thinking, what the, f- how the fuck did that actually happen? How did I let mm. that situation happen to me? So you're right. It is, it, it's a difficult conversation. It, it's one that. It does trigger and it does pluck the fucking strings because <laughs> while we're talking about this, I can recall conversations in my mind and feelings that I've felt about people that I've trusted before. And I don't give my trust easy to people, like not the whole cake. 
when I give you the whole cake, it means that I'm I'm invested, I love you, I'm in 100%. But when I can see that you're trying to kick the legs out from underneath me, man, you become my pet project after that. But I just know what type of person that is. I think it's beautiful that we trust each other enough to actually have this conversation because that's mm. already deep. And I think this, you know, this podcast and being with you two in the room is so beautiful because I do trust you. And I think that's really special. I'm grateful for it. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Birdie. I'll wrap it up. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Tell us why you trust us. <laughs> you can trust us, guys. You can trust us, guys. Everything's all right. We're, we're, we've got so much uh, integrity. Uh, trust me. Trust me. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is via Patreon. You can uh, sling us three bucks a month there, get your extra content, or you can pay up to, I don't know, buying us a private jet so we can actually travel around, quarantine ourselves, <laughs> do the show live. I don't know. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is in the group. Group source some information there, the Canon Paradigm discussion group on Facebook, or you can choose an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com. That's it. Bertie, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. See you next time. Sounds good. Bye.